Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining us today is owner and financial planner of Successful Financial Strategies, Jamie Blakely. Thanks for joining me, Jamie. Hi, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, love doing these things. Probably one of my favorite part of the new job since we did some reorgs at Cambridge last year. So um, thanks for letting me get to know you better. And more importantly, share yourself with the audience. Um, my favorite place to start, if you've listened to any of the podcasts, is the beginning. So let's start with your journey into financial services. How did you get where you are today? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I was thinking of uh, I was thinking of that, knowing that would probably be a question you would ask. And I I think back to even when I clear back to when I was probably like ten years old, um, I there was something intriguing about the financial services. So like when we would go, even my mom would take me to the doctor, and I would find the newspaper, the section where they used to have the stock symbols and the tickers and you could follow stocks and whether they were up or down. I had no idea what I was doing, but I would always turn to that section and sit there and look at it, wondering if people around me thought I really knew what I was doing. <laughs> so, um, and so there was something about that in, that intrigued me. And then I went on, you know, to live life. And, and uh, shortly after college, I moved uh, to an area that uh, I was, I started working in a bank, in the banking industry moved up to loan department and that was really interesting, but it just seemed like there wasn't enough. Like it, it, I, I was still looking for something more and a local advisor approached me out of nowhere and asked if I'd be interested in becoming his assistant and then maybe getting licensed myself. And I remember being so excited once he started talking about when we met um, and I did my interview once we started talking about the industry and how it worked and what it was he did and, and the stocks that he followed and just the whole, I, I had no idea. I didn't really know a lot about savings or anything like that. Uh, I didn't grow up um, in a family that was well-to-do. So I, it was just something I knew savings was important. I just didn't even know how to begin. So when he brought me in, I was so excited because it just kind of brought me back to that 10 year old child that was so excited and really wanting to learn and really understand the industry. And it just, um, it, it, I just, uh, as soon as I started studying first for my series seven, um, I, I got all the licenses I could get, but as soon as I started studying, I realized, wow, this is right where I want to be. And I just, uh, I worked extra hours and worked long hours. It didn't end up working out with that advisor, um, and when it didn't, I just decided I'm going to do this. So I went out on my own. I connected with a local CPA and went out on my own and studied and studied and uh, learned. And uh, along the way, I, I became I, I it's just something I've really loved. It's it you know, it's just the key to building relationships, which I feel I'm really good at. And. Uh, organization. And, and so even the details of learning the industry and learning how to trade and learning what's right for the client was just, um, it's just been a beautiful thing for me. I've loved doing it. One of the things I most agree with in your story is banking and the segue that can be to our business overall. We see a lot of our employees from a home office perspective, but I also hear this from a lot of advisors that Maybe that's a way for somebody to dip their toe into whether or not it's something 
you know, even financial services broadly is something that they would be passionate about. So um, I think that's a, a common and really valuable part of the journey. Yes, I agree 100%. Did that person, were they in the independent side of the business? That gentleman you were talking about, did you start in the independent side, um, even though they yeah. were, you know, connected to perhaps other things? Yeah, they were independent. He was also independent as well. Um, he was through Raymond James, I think, at that time, um, which was a big, uh, big broker dealer. He was independent, but it still felt like even being being large, uh, that there were specific things that they wanted. So when I went on my own and, and was independent, I chose a even similar independent arena uh, that also was uh, for tax advisors since I was inside a tax office. Uh, but I'll say that that culture was real similar to Cambridge culture. And that's why I chose Cambridge when I did change broker dealers because that they ended up changing. They sold out, the old broker dealer sold out and it just, um, the culture, I just lost the culture. I lost the end of what I felt was independence. I lost um, kind of that uh, feel of uh, just that people cared within the industry. And I have found that um, with Cambridge that that is, is certainly similar to what I was used to. I've been doing this now, I'm going on my 24th year and um, I, you know, there have been growing pains like with anything, especially when you make changes, but I, I have thoroughly enjoyed um, getting, you know, getting, getting back, getting back into things with Cambridge that I didn't have once, uh, once the old broker dealer sold and became less, less culture oriented. So sure. And then you started your own firm, in, I believe in 1999, right? You founded Successful Financial Strategies. How did you decide how to build your culture and take that leap being out on your own? I think with me, it, it just, it became natural. I felt already then that I didn't really want to try to find another advisor to go under. And I, I initially, I just thought it's the right thing for me is to just step out and do and do it and do it my own and my own way. I, I very much, uh, I feel like I do things a little bit different. I know that building a business, at least for me, it's about mountains and mountains of trust. And so with, with clients, uh, I just felt like I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it the way that I felt was right. Um, I think I got a little bit um, gun shy, maybe. I don't know if that's the right word, but um, when I was with the other advisor, he had done some things that weren't exactly right uh, that caused him to get in trouble. And so I stepped away from that, knowing that, you know, I've learned what not to do. Now I'm going to, I want to, I want to be on my own to know that no one is going to control my destiny. Um, so I guess with me, it's just always been about being independent more than anything and been able to know that what I'm building is exactly right for me, for my team that I work with, for my, especially for my clients and for the integrity side of it. Uh, you know, there's a lot out there in this world and a lot going on even in the financial industry and integrity is such a key role to, 
to doing the right thing, not just in life, but for sure in this industry. So with me going independent, just made it a natural fit because I wanted, I wanted to be that it was exactly what it needed to be and what I felt good doing, or I wasn't even going to be in the industry. Great advice. So that's also a great segue. Uh, let's talk about teaming for a second. So first, who's on your team and what roles do they play? Um, I know they help you run your business um, and you do that together as a team, as you just described. But I think one of the big things that many advisors struggle with, especially at that moment in time when they are still solo, is the whole, when do I add and how do I structure? So give us a little bit of background on your team. Yeah, I think with me, as far as adding, I'll start there first, is a lot of times it's hard. And I'm I'm a big advocate of having at, at least a little bit of a team, you know, you have someone other than you, because you're, if you're trying to do everything, you're not going to do the best things that you do right well, if you don't have help. And so initially what started me um, deciding I needed someone was when I did finally adopt my son, I did not want to miss a moment with him. I'm very big on balance and family. And so I'm like, I'm not going to miss a moment. So I hired somebody initially just to kind of be the office front and so I could be home with him when when we brought him home as a young baby um I could be home with him as much as possible so she would sit at the office and take the calls and help with all the clerical stuff I would work at home in between being a mom for the first six or seven months we did that on and off so if a client needed me in office we would book the appointment I would go to the appointment and then my assistant would go home and watch Keegan while I was at the appointment. So it first started out where I thought, well, I just need her so that I can have balance and I can also be a really, you know, a mom like I really desired to be. And then after he got pretty mobile, I had to, you know, then do a small home daycare. And um, then I came back into the office and I realized, wow, I, I really need her. She helps me do all that clerical stuff. I'm actually able to focus on what I do best for my clients. So I, of course, kept her on. And then um, in 2010, when I decided to relocate closer to where there was a nice private Christian school for my son, um, I hired Michelle, who does all of my paperwork processing. And she's kind of my office manager. She just she loves uh, paperwork, loves detail, which is great because I'm not a big fan of paperwork. Uh, so she's like been, she's, she's been with me now, I guess it would be almost 13 years, 14 years, somewhere in there. And then I hired Caitlin recently. I'm always trying to have at least two people on staff, Michelle, so she could focus on the paperwork side. And then Caitlin is recent, my recent hire I've uh, been here a little more than a year, and she does the marketing side, books my appointments, helps with the advisory trading, anything that I need. That's what she does. Um, and she's she's younger. She's the younger generation. Um, and so she understands the ins and outs of what is needed for social media. So I suggest even having a well-rounded um, staff that that understands the younger generation. And I'm not trying to age myself here, but I, I don't understand all that as rapidly as it grows. And then also having someone just focused on paperwork so, so that they're not fully 
overwhelmed doing too, trying to do too many things. And then I'm able to just focus on taking care of my clients. It's actually given me more opportunity to help at a deeper level with the things that I love doing, which is really helping. It certainly has come to a place where I'm helping a lot of noticing the industry has changed and I'm helping a lot of women uh, more than they used to. When I first started, the man was the head of the house and you really didn't talk much to the woman. She might be in the appointments, she might not be. That has completely changed. So now I'm helping, helping with a lot of women that are going through possibly um, loss of, of a spouse or divorce or their single moms. So I'm sitting there taking care of them and, and I'm finding the, such deep passion, which takes a lot of extra time. So if you don't have staff, then you can't really do all of those extra things that your clients really need or you overwhelm yourself too much um, by not having that help. So I'm a big advocate of having a team and hiring more when and if you ever need to. It, you know, you hire before you actually need them. And I promise you, you won't regret it because that will help the money come in to provide, provide for them and to take care of their families. Yes, great advice. Thank you for sharing. And a great plug for thoughtfully considering diversity broadly, right? You touched on uh, what I call skill set diversity. So making sure that you're not hiring a bunch of mini-me's and you've got people that actually do like to do the stuff maybe that you're not as good at. Um, and usually you're, you don't enjoy what you're not good at. Um, and also you hit the generational and gender diversity in some ways right there. So um, really important that it's a thoughtful part of building your business. Yes, I agree. That's great. Let's shift over to your clients. I've read your bio and your bio talks about a particular component of your clients giving you feedback that you bring ease when it comes to financial planning. Um, what does that mean? How do you create that atmosphere? Um, you talked a lot about trust a little bit ago. I know that's a big component of it, but how do you actually begin building that trust? In some ways, at least for me, it does come very natural because I think it's just an ability that God gave me to, to be able to listen well. Um, I love helping others. So it must, I think it kind of oozes out of me. Um, I, I love building relationship. I would say a lot of times that I have so many friends and though I don't, though I spend a lot of time just taking care of my family and my clients, and I don't have a lot of outside time to spend um, just directly with friends. My clients have become my friends. I think um, with me, I don't even have like a, uh, I don't even have specific questions that I ask that I could even lend to other advisors to say, this is what you should ask to make things more comfortable. I think it's more about listening, like initially just wanting to get to know them, not just get to know their, what, what money they hold in their account so we can manage that it's more about getting to know their their heart and their life and their passions and so uh because that's something I love doing I mean I've often thought that I'm sometimes feel like I'm more of a counselor than I am even advisor and uh and so you know you're you're those clients are stepping in and they're giving you detailed parts of their financial life and sometimes that's very very private and it takes someone that they can trust uh, to unload that information onto and then 
you know, I don't take it lightly. I'm very personal with them as well. I share things about my personal lives and they know every bit about my son. All my clients, all of my clients are, you probably couldn't meet one of my clients that wouldn't know my son, Keegan, because um, it's just somebody, you know, it's somebody so important to me. And I, I just, you know, I'm often talking about him and it's so sweet when they ask about him. I don't miss uh, since the year he was born, I've done a, Chris, a photo Christmas card. So they get to see him grow. And every year I hear from, wow, I can't believe how much he's grown this year or that. So um, I do, I think it's just about building, um, building relationships. And naturally I have to be good at what I do for them to wanna stay with me uh, on the financial side. But I, you know, I can, I have all kinds of resources with Cambridge and the wholesalers. And, you know, I don't pretend to be the smartest advisor out there, but I promise you it's going to be hard to find someone who cares like I do. Um, and that's to me, the heart of it is they, they, they want to be with you because they know how much you care about them, about their lives. And you, you're going to, you're going to seek all kinds of advice to get their financial lives in order to allow, you know, to allow their their investments to work well, but most importantly, you're kind of that bridge with the relationship side. You just hit on a couple of um, really interesting changes in this industry, specifically, in my opinion, to think about over even the, like you said, 24, 25 years that you've been in the business. And certainly, I, I know people have been in the business 40 years, and I'm sure they would agree that um, it used to be uh, largely that clients came to financial advisors to tell them what to do. So in my mind, talk to them, tell them what they should be doing, collect financial data and metrics, and then tell them what they're doing. And you just brought up what I think is a really important and valuable evolution of this business, which is you do more listening than talking. Yes, you have to do your job well, but to do your job well today um, I, I just think clients, in my opinion, expect largely someone to listen to them first before they start talking. And maybe that's connected to the fact that there are more spouses, partners, families involved in the process, which I think is another really interesting um, dynamic that's going on. And then the other one that's probably uncomfortable for a lot of advisors is I guess what I would call the vulnerability, you know, exposing personal facts about yourself to let those clients decide that it's a good fit where again, in the past, everybody was fighting probably to prove that they were the far, the smartest money manager in the room and that that's uh, what it was all about. So I think that's really admirable. Yeah, I do. I agree. It, it's one of those things. It's not really about um, with me, if it's the right, if it's a client, that's the right fit for me. They're, they're just wanting someone they know they can trust. And so if, if they come in wanting to trade through me and saying, this is what I need you to do here and there, I mean, I will naturally listen, but the connection will not be as, as solid and it won't be for their good and their future per se. So I try to find balance with that too, because I know with, with the way life is now, they can there's so much ways you can research so many things you can do on your own and, and you could actually even trade on your own. It's really easy to do. 
Um, so I do, I do try to listen to that. I also try to find industries that if there's a certain industry that that client is in a sector of the market that they work in or that they very knowledgeable on and they know, then I try to pull that in as much as I can. But most importantly, it is our job to help them make good decisions that will build a solid plan and a solid future. And, you know, what are your goals? Let's meet those goals and not just let's, you know, let's jump into this or that, that maybe could make you some quick money. That's just not me. That's not how I work. Yeah, that's great. One of the other things connected to that, um, speaking of clients and the whole onboarding process, and you use the words right fit, which I think is perfect. Um, what, how do you merge in the, the dreams and goals? I don't want to call it the easy stuff, but has to be more comfortable for clients to share about where they want to go and what they want to do. But your your bio also talked about how you help clients manage doubts, uncertainties, and fears. And that's that balance you were just describing, but maybe dive a little deeper into the finesse of getting them to a point where they're willing to share the uncertainties, doubts, and fears, which may be a little more uncomfortable for people. I think what happens a lot of times uh, that I've found in most of my clients is they have certain goals and dreams and maybe maybe more than anything, I feel like I have to bring them back to realistic goals and realistic dreams um, because it, the way life is now and the way things cost, uh, it's sometimes not enough. You think that you have enough money set aside or you're doing enough. And I have to bring them back to, okay, this is what it looks like right now. So we go through a, a full plan of you have X amount. This is how much you're wanting at retirement, or let's say it's for a retirement goal. And I have to, a lot of times, it's not that they don't have trouble sharing with me all the great things they, they want and how they, and how much money they want to have in retirement or what, what certain things they want to buy, but it's talking them through, well, you have to make sure you have, you, you're not drawing too much in retirement. You don't want to run out of money. It's bringing them back to the realism of that. And then, okay, how do we if there isn't enough or you're, or you need to put back a little bit more, how do we meet that goal by adding more a month or tweaking here or there, or maybe uh, planning retirement a year or two after what you expected? Um, those are the things that I think I really have to do. It doesn't seem like I have any trouble getting them to share. Uh, this is what I really want it to be like. And if I do, I initially just start out with, okay, tell me kind of what you, if it's for retirement, tell me kind of what your age, kind of around what age you would like to retire. And, you know, I'll say that a lot of times they want to retire sooner rather than later. Um, and, and so we have to see if we can even build a plan to do that. So I'll start first with retirement. Um, how much do you think you would want in retirement? Is it similar to what you're making now? I naturally have to find out how much they're making now and then how much they're spending. So it really comes into, though I don't set them a budget, it really comes into them really thinking through their budget and realizing, okay, where, where can I lower my spending or what can I change or what can I have better to meet this goal? So it's really just taught, I think it's just about asking the right questions when it comes to how much are you putting away? How much are you wanting? How much are you needing for this certain goal? 
Um, and then what, what's the time frame of that goal? Uh, it really has to be about them realizing, uh, seeing it in black and white, you're gonna meet this goal or you're not gonna meet it. And this is what we have to do to make it, to, to get us there. So retirement, you said sooner rather than later. Do you, has that changed? Is it different today than it was 20 years ago? Were people shooting for a different number when you started in the business than you see today? It, I would say yes, which it seems like it would be opposite, but it does seem like people, for sure, the ones that I'm meeting with, they're, um, a lot of them are wanting to retire sooner. Uh, which is making things a little bit harder um, in the planning process. It's not impossible. It's just meet with me soon enough and let's, you know, let's talk through. So, I mean, they can be pretty young and I'm already asking them. So when do you think you might want to retire? They can be in their forties um, or early fifties and, and already be saying, it'd be great if I could retire. Some of them saying 55 and 60 where I used to see, oh, well, I'm just, I don't know when I'll retire. I, I'm going to, you know, so maybe never. <laughs> right. So, so I think it comes down to, you know, people are starting to see, I, I want to live life. I want to, I, you know, I want to live life before I get too old to enjoy it. Maybe, maybe as things are changing and um, as they get a little bit older, they're seeing their loved ones pass on that didn't get to enjoy life makes it a little bit harder to to navigate through because it's a change but it's certainly not something we can't work through it's just trying to get it get it to a place where they understand well okay but if you retire this early there's insurance and all of that thing in play so I'll I'll say that most of the time if if there's not um if, if they need a little bit more time, it's just them understanding what that looks like and then talking them through it. And, and then, uh, and then they know, well, that I'll have X less if I retire at such and such date. And so it makes it, it makes it a little bit easier. I think, um, as we, as we actually work through it, but you need to start it early. Yeah. So the whole industry has a task, I think of, of, um, None of the answers, but some way of inspiring young people to think about these things earlier, to your point, because of this change that's happening in our business, that we all know that you need X amount of years in some way, shape or form to meet the needs. Um, and I'm not sure the younger generation, even the ones that you're talking about, you know, I don't know, even even when I was 18 and uh, that was a long time ago, um, I did have people in my life that were telling me that I should start investing, but it was very much around 401k. Maybe now the evolution is other ways of making sure that you're putting money in different places so that when they finally arrive, could be the family planning thing that solves some of that, right? If the parents talk about their finances more around the children as they're growing up, maybe they will realize that they do need a financial planner or at least the very least to start investing earlier. What do you think? Do you, do you work with families? Yeah, and with families, what I what I try to do, and I've even expressed, if you want to leave, if you want to bring your teenagers in, I can have a meeting with them and talk through, kind of just give them the little cut and dry of of investing. You know, even like with my son, I did something really fun with him a couple of years ago. He's now seventeen. I think he was uh, maybe it was it was around fourteen. And I, I told him I'm going to give him X amount of money and we're going to sit down and talk through it. 
And whatever that money grows between now and the time that you graduate, you get that for your graduation present. So um, that's been fun because he's watched it. He's talked to his friends about it. But those kinds of things I've mentioned to clients, that particular story, hey, I'm, I'm willing to do that even with your teenagers. And then also I, I combine with a local bank here uh, that for the Mustangs High School, they have, they have a, a group of like their top 30 or 40 students in the school. We meet um, once a year with the seniors, the top 30 or 40 seniors. And the, the bank does a kind of a segue of a segment of just talking about banking and um, why you need a good credit score. And then I talk about investing and I mentioned to them, you know, all you have to do is when you get to a place that you are graduated and you're starting a new job that has a 401k, you just call into my office and mention, mention that you were part of this group. And I'll sit down with you and walk you through how to fill out the paperwork and what you might need um, at no cost to you, just because you don't want to not start saving because, and I stress that the company match is a, is basically free money to you. And you would be throwing that away if you don't sign up and hoping that it gets, you know, it gets um, uh, young, the younger generation in, generation into actually investing. I think, Gosh, there's so many other ways that the younger generation in, is investing that's a little bit scary by trying to just do it on their own through Reddit or whatever. And it and it's and I, it concerns me that they're going to lose lose the financial planning side and the actual planning that comes into place um, and even the risk tolerance being way too much. So I do stress that with families of, you know, young kids, uh, I, I tell them probably 12 or at least age 12 or, or higher is probably going to be where they would, where it would register better, probably nothing more than that. But the key, key kids, probably 14, 15, they, you know, it really starts resonating with them uh, and, and even just maybe getting them to start learning how to uh, balance a checkbook and stuff. So yeah, I, I do. I love doing that side too. Those are great ideas. Do you ever get the what's a checkbook question? Because I can well, imagine that has to come out. It's crazy, but you can't get away from that. You know, yeah, most every, like even my son, he has a debit card. And as long as he has his debit card, he's good to go, he thinks. But, it, you know, we need to even balance those entries uh, so it is a little bit different, uh, but he he can write a check, and 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 so I think it's that's important to not to not forget to not lose that. It might eventually not even be in play, but for now it still is, and and yes. and that's all part of financial planning. Yes, back in the day when I first started investing, pretty much you know A shares, American funds, A shares, right, that kind of thing. Yes. Um, I don't think Reddit's talking about that anymore. I think they're talking about uh, individual stocks or cryptocurrency or ESG or the things that resonate philosophically with that generation. But there has to be somebody helping them behind the scenes. I agree with you. Yeah, that makes it pretty scary. Just thinking if that's the only thing that they see the financial world is, especially if there's in moments that they could lose quite a bit of money and doing something too risky, they might not even engage anymore. And I just don't want that generation to lose that. 
Yeah, yeah, that's great. Really admirable work. Thank you for sharing. One other thing related to the clients, you talked about how pretty much from the beginning, it sounded like to me, you knew, at least in your heart, that you wanted to be independent. Um, how do you explain that value of that to your clients? I explain to them that, that there's there's a lot of opportunity out there to be in the industry in general. I think being independent allows me to not be driven by some kind of quota that I have to meet, which in turn potentially could uh, cause some advisors uh, to make wrong choices just to meet those quotas. Sometimes even if you're not independent, uh, they'll require that you invest through certain, you know, you get a little more perks if you invest through certain, you do certain investments. And I, I'm just so grateful that I can be independent that I don't have to worry about, uh, I can always make the choice that's right for the client. You know, and I, I think it, it truly allows me to set my own destiny and allows me to help my clients best. Yes, uh, that might be why there's a good cultural fit between Cambridge and you. We always like to say that we want you to control your own destiny. And the only way we can do that is if we control ours. So there's a connection there potentially from what kind of company you decide to affiliate with that gives you the ability to do that. Independence, I guess the word independent can sometimes come with different definitions, but you just did a good job of explaining it. And I think the clients should understand that. I, I have to believe that nine times out of 10, if it's explained that way, it's gonna resonate with them too. Yes, yeah. So you are one busy lady. The way I like to wrap these podcasts up is to talk about what you do uh, when you're not working. You, it does sound though, as busy as you are uh, from, the, from the beginning, have focused on balance. I love hearing about your son. Um, life will change, I guess, for you a little bit when he goes away to, well, becomes an adult and does whatever he decides to do after that. So you've got the next part of that journey. But what do you do today for fun? And, um, you know, how, how does Keegan wrap into that? It sounds like you guys spend a lot of time together. We do. You know, I'm a single mom, have been for quite some time. Uh, I always think it's very important. I, I, first of all, I love to travel. So that I would say that's what I would do on the side. Um, that is just a way for me to unplug and kind of step away. Most of the time when I travel, I try to make sure everything's in decent enough order before I leave that I can just leave and, and unplug for a little while. I'm never gone too terribly long. Um, and I have great staff to be able to, to help while I'm gone. Um, even sometimes being business trips, some of the Cambridge trips, um, are still worth my time just to get away more than anything. But with with me, I believe very much to have balance, you, you have to step away. And so Keegan loves to travel because he's been traveling since he was a little babe. He knows no difference. Uh, so we always take at least one uh, summer vacation together. Sometimes we can throw something in there over spring break or Thanksgiving break. One year we went to New York before COVID. I mean, right before COVID hit, we went to New York and it was one of the best trips we had. I wouldn't want to live there, but it's, <laughs> but it was really fun to see. And we, we, we got to walk down wall street. We got to see the bull. So I, I do think um, that is the way Keegan and I have stayed connected, even as he's gotten older and I'm not nearly as cool um, is we travel. Uh, there's been a couple times I've let him bring friends along, 
but just just getting away and and getting a break and and learning new things and making memories is 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 vital I think and so if I if that's the anything that I do to kind of unplug would be that other than that I'm usually working or doing something with Keegan or for him or helping him uh you know in all his activities so what is uh what do you think your all-time favorite trip is versus his are they the same Hmm. I, I love the beach. So, and I think he does too. I honestly am not positive that we would, it's maybe the memories that we've made. I would say that New York was pretty cool. And it's strange that I would say that that was maybe one of our favorite times. Um, because we both like the beach very much. We're more, um, summer, weather you know this yeah. the sunny weather uh but new york was great in that it kind of combined um a lot of personal and even business related because i got to actually see you know wall street and and you know just been able to see that area and then we went over macy's day parade and and uh we walked through the park and then we went one night that we walked through Central Park. Then we went back to the room and watched one of the movies that had Central Park in it. <laughs> so just uh, I think probably that was maybe a more memorable trip. But we we have fun in about everything that we do. I, I don't think that he he's he's never not said, oh, I, I don't think I'd really want to travel there. So that's great. It sounds like you're having a you're you're making a lot of memories and someday um I don't know but my adult children would still love to travel with us so I, the fact that you started traveling with him when he was young I do, I do think makes a big difference um for kids they end up getting more comfortable with the whole process and then they don't really want to give it up when they get their first big girl or big boy job uh as I say right. my kids have to start worrying about uh whether they have vacation time or not <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> that's great Jimmy, is there anything that you think the audience should know about you or your business or um, something about the industry that you're really passionate about that you want to share that I haven't asked you today? I think uh, we've pretty much covered, you know, covered it. And I did share recently kind of what's going on with um, my passion in helping uh, women understand finance more and being more independent in that stretch. So um, I think that covers it. I'm, I'm, I, I feel good about what we've talked about. And I appreciate you taking the time to get to know me and 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 the things that I, I'm passionate about. That's great. Yes. Um, I, one of my favorite things to do is figure out what's important to our clients. So I appreciate you trusting Cambridge and being a great example of Cambridge Stronger for this podcast. I know our listeners will get a lot of value out of it. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app.